Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, we're meeting U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed. He talks about sexual harassment in public housing and what you can do about it. Dave, let's start by having you give us a little bit of the background of the sexual harassment in public housing. Uh, You would think in this day and age that things like that don't happen, but obviously if you're here to talk about it, they must be pretty evident. Sure. Nationwide, we've had uh, complaints, numerous complaints of sexual harassment in public housing. And, you know, sometimes it involves loan officers, sometimes it's maintenance workers, it could be a property manager. And uh, I'd like to say it's surprising, but in a sense it's not because often, uh, you know, our, our fellow citizens uh, who, who are in public housing, like everybody else, you know, working hard, uh, want to be left alone in peace to raise their families in, in, in a safe environment. But sometimes they, they're in vulnerable situations. You know, often we have single mothers, uh, who are in, in uh, tough economic situations and, and difficult family situations. And in any type of crime, uh, often folks who are willing to perpetrate crimes know how to pick their victims. So uh, in one sense, uh, there's a, a ready-made set of, set of victims sometimes in public housing. And that's where we've seen that problem around the country. There have been enough complaints uh, from, from around the nation that this is one of the priorities of this Justice Department. Uh, you know, reducing violence, reducing crime uh, certainly uh, are at the top. And, and really, this does go, go right along with that because we're talking about, uh, you know, sexual harassment, threats, sometimes assaults, uh, quality of life issues, quality of life crimes that, that we're seeing all over the country in public housing. It must be very difficult, though, because, again, as you just said, that you have these vulnerable victims who are afraid especially if they are in charge of children and their income uh, level might not be enough where they can make this kind of a decision. What would you suggest to someone who might find themselves or know someone who finds themselves in that position in order to, so it doesn't become a you said, I said kind of a situation? Well, they have to make sure that they, they to the extent they can, and it could involve just keeping a list, you know, keep a record of, of, of anything that happens. If it's, if it's uh, just harassing behavior, if it's, if it's phone calls, uh, if it's, uh, you know, failure uh, to do work, uh, in the residence and, un- unless the, the, the tenant agrees to do something. You have to keep track of all of that. You know, I was a, I was a county district attorney and, and a state prosecutor in Pennsylvania for a long time. And, and this issue in one sense is a little bit like domestic violence because uh, you have vulnerable victims uh, who are often afraid to come forward because they're concerned that coming forward will put them at risk, put their families at risk, put their housing situation at risk. It's exactly what we see in domestic violence. What we want uh, the folks in federal housing to know is we're on top of this and, and we're here to help. So uh, if they make the report, they can call the number. Uh, they can go to the website. Uh, the number is 844-380-6178. The website is fairhousing at usdoj.gov. Uh, you know, we have people 
on this specifically uh, that will protect their interests and make sure they're not retaliated against. I think retaliation uh, is, is a big fear, and we understand why that is. That's why we're trying to be public about this and let people know we understand this is going on and we want to help you. We want you to bring this forward. One of the other things, too, again, when we're talking about such an issue, you mentioned the DOJ is on top of it. Well, as soon as you start thinking about, well, here I am, I'm in this situation, and now in order for me to go a step further, I'm going to have to talk to law enforcement or this person or that person, and now I'm really opening myself up. So there, and you don't feel like there's any assurances that somebody's not going to just brush you off under the carpet. I can understand that completely. Uh, it's difficult. I've worked in government for a long time. Uh, and, and one of the rules I always had uh, and still have in my government office is when somebody calls in, we don't transfer calls around. If, if they have happened to call the wrong office, we find out uh, who they're trying to be talking to and we make that connection for them. Uh, and, and people need to know that they're going to get service. That's what we're here to do. You know, taxpayers pay our salaries. Uh, we're here to serve the community. Th- th- this. Uh, Department of, of Housing and, and, and Urban Development understands that this is an issue around the country. Uh, there are people who are specifically trained to deal with, with these issues. Uh, and and uh, we can't do anything about it if we don't know about it. We're certainly willing to do that uh, if, if folks are able to come forward. And, and there are numerous examples. Uh, we haven't had any cases finish here yet in the Middle District of Pennsylvania, but there's numerous examples around the country. I can think of one from North Carolina uh, recently uh, where people have come forward with these issues and, and, and have been vindicated. And one of the important things to know is there's a lot of people doing this right. There, there's a lot of folks who... Uh, provide uh, subsidized housing and run subsidized housing, and they're doing it exactly right. But in the places where it's where it's not being done correctly and, 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 and people are being victimized, we want to be able to help those folks. One of the things that you just mentioned was uh, nationwide. And a lot of times we don't think here in northeastern Pennsylvania that we sometimes have the same problems as nationwide. But the other interesting thing is you also said the Middle District of Pennsylvania. What area are you covering? That's a great question. So the Middle District of Pennsylvania, is, it's big mm-hmm. uh, ge- geographically. We're the 33 counties uh, in, in the middle of Pennsylvania from, from the Maryland border up to New York. Uh, and then it takes a little bit of a right turn uh, over into northeastern Pennsylvania and the Poconos. So if you think about it, looking at a map of Pennsylvania, it, it's essentially everything – uh, except Philadelphia and the Lehigh Valley, and then sort of the western third of Pennsylvania. So we've got 33 counties, a uh, population of about two two and a half million people uh, in in those counties. And so it's a, you know, it's a diverse it's a diverse place. But uh, if you think about especially some of the more urban areas we have here, city of York, city of Harrisburg, Wilkesbury, Scranton, Williamsport, uh, you know we have plenty of uh, federal housing there and in other places and subsidized housing. Uh, I have to say, based on my experience, I've been doing this this sort of job for more than 20 years. Uh, I'd be shocked if it's not going on here. Uh, a lot of things that happen in, in the Middle District of Pennsylvania uh, are the same things that are happening around the country, just maybe at a different level, because mm-hmm. uh, we are blessed with a lot of natural beauty, a lot of rural areas, and 
we don't have some of the urban issues uh, uh, throughout most of the district that, that you see in big cities like Philadelphia or Chicago. Uh, but what everybody else has, we have, it might just be on a smaller scale. Uh, and and, and uh, I'm excited about this, this opportunity, uh, and, and I'm happy that the department uh, has authorized us to get out there and talk about this because I believe this issue of of discrimination and harassment in housing is going on, and we want to be able to help folks who, who might be suffering that. And just to uh, remind our listeners that we are talking with U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed. And again, when we're talking about the, the, we are a diverse area, and they're just here because you mentioned Williamsport, you mentioned Harrisburg. Those are so far away from here, and we have so much. How can things like that be happening here? And then again, at the same time, so many of the outside elements are starting to make it into the more rural communities. Would you say that that is almost now opening Pandora's box, where we're going to find that a lot of things, as you mentioned, you would bet that it's going on everywhere, including here, but no one ever knew about it before sure uh you know throughout this district uh we we have great quality of life you know from the extreme southern end i, I live down towards the the southern part of the district in the harrisburg area you know all the way up to the new york border and over into the poconos you know, there's a lot of people who want to locate here mm-hmm. um, because uh, we have natural beauty uh it's 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 just a nice nice place to live uh, we also have, uh, and I know you know we we can talk all day long about the state of Pennsylvania's roads, uh, but we have a, <laughs> and not my department by the way, <laughs> as as United States Attorney, but we have um, incredible transportation infrastructure, and that brings us a lot of benefits. Uh, I, I I frequently uh, drive throughout the district and and see the the huge warehouses and and the logistics businesses that are going on, you know, the, all, all up Route 81 and, and across Route 80. Uh, and the turnpike and, and uh, you know we've re- we've reaped a lot of benefit in this area from that but because we have that great transportation infrastructure uh, we have uh, just incredible amounts of, of, of goods traveling through here uh, on a daily basis and as part of that we have a lot of drugs mm-hmm. and a lot of contraband uh, coming through here at the same time by the same token uh, you think the world has gotten a lot smaller uh, and, 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 you know, we've seen people move here for quality of life. Uh, and as population grows, uh, problems grow. I don't know that, that, that crime rate, uh, in the district as a whole, uh, has increased a lot. You know, violent crime goes up and down, violent crimes up a little bit, but when you have population increases in certain areas, everything's going to increase. Need for services is going to increase and, and, and crime, even if the rate stays the same, you're going to have more. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's what we see. So when you have population, you have the problems that, that go along with it. Uh, I don't think we're, we're certainly not worse than any other area. We're probably better than a lot of them. Uh, I know what drives most of our business in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and it's drugs and violent crime. Uh, but all the benefits that we have from being where we are, there are some negatives that go along with that too. Uh, you know, when you speak of, of, of the, the, the drug issues, uh, you know, this country's in, in right now. Uh, an unprecedented crisis as it relates to heroin and opioids. Mm-hmm. Um, We're I, seeing it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, We're living we see it. it. Yeah. And, and uh, I'd be surprised if there's anyone out there who hasn't been touched by it with at least, if not a family member, 
uh, a, a friend of the family or an acquaintance uh, who's who's been touched by this crisis. Mm-hmm. I certainly have. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, but where we are in particular, our, our geographic location, uh, we're, we're just inundated. Uh, I saw a report recently from, from the DEA. They do, they do street buys of, of heroin, and then they analyze it for purity and to see where it comes from. Uh, and purity just really means power. The more, mm-hmm. the, the more pure it is, the more powerful it is. So uh, the, the purest, and, and for price also, the purest and cheapest heroin in the United States comes from the city of Philadelphia. Oh, very Which close, is very close to where we are. Two hours, and and other cheap, pure uh, repositories are New York, North Jersey, Pittsburgh, Baltimore. So yeah. so we're absolutely surrounded by it. We're in the middle, uh, and and we've got it coming in from all directions. I was with my colleague from the Western District of Pennsylvania, who's who's based in Pittsburgh. Last week, we were at a meeting of a controlled substances subcommittee of United States attorneys, and and the folks there were the people that you'd expect. The folks from Kentucky, Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Vermont, Maine, the places that have really been hit hard uh, in this crisis. And, and certainly uh, part of that's demand, and, and, and we as a society have to work on the demand. You know, this is a crime problem and a public health problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're doing a lot on the crime side, on the public health side. There's work that needs to be done here, too, you know, to impact that demand. Uh, and we're doing everything we can to impact supply, but we are right in the epicenter of that. And, and that happens with, with not just drugs, but, but everything else. Is that why public housing then sometimes gets a bad rap? I think it is, uh, yeah. And, and, and uh, I don't think it's deserved. Uh, I, I've said often, and I've you know, pulled different stats and, and, and quotes out of the air, air but you know, if, you're, if you're talking to somebody who, who – uh, lives maybe back mountain area or mm-hmm. something and they say well you know that that area of of, of maybe downtown city of wilkesbury is that's a bad neighborhood they might say or, or pick some i don't want to pick on wilkesbury but pick out no. you pick out a neighborhood in harrisburg exactly okay, say hey you know uptown harrisburg's a bad neighborhood somebody in, in in my area where i live might say and i say to those folks i've, I've been dealing with people who live in these bad neighborhoods uh, for my entire career. And, and the vast, vast majority of people in the place that you would call a bad neighborhood are good law-abiding citizens who just want to be left alone to raise their family in a safe environment. And, and so I think neighborhoods get bad raps. I think public housing gets bad raps. Look, there, there's, a, there's a lot of people uh, who reap a great benefit from it. And, and if we've got stable housing for people, uh, that means that's one less thing they have to worry about. Their kids are more likely to go to school, and when kids are more likely to go to school, and and the parents can be satisfied with that, and then the parents can go to work and know their kids are safe. Everybody's more likely to stay out of criminal behavior. I've been involved for many years with a group called Fight Crime Invest in Kids, early learning investments uh, for kids. You know, get kids into into uh, Head Start and Pre K, things like that, and it, it, it's shown that uh, those early learning investments not only keep kids out of crime later on, uh, it makes it less likely that they're going to be crime victims, and it keeps families out of crime. And, and so solid, uh, safe, reliable housing is one of those things that does that. So if someone sees that there is something illegal that's going on in their public housing unit that they're living in. Mm-hmm. Do they contact you first? Do they go? Because a lot of times, sometimes they can get frustrated by going to local police because, again, they're inundated. 
as well. So what would the steps to take and then your number and the website for the maybe the last resort? Right. So there's, there should there should be management uh, at, at the public housing that they can go to. And look, if there's a crime that they've seen, they have to go to local police first. Uh, and, and, and especially if it's a crime that they've observed or they've been a, a victim of a crime. But if there's ongoing issues, uh, certainly uh, the, the, the phone number to contact is 844-380-6178. That's 844-380-6178. Or you can go on the web. Almost everybody has a smartphone now. Fair housing, it's all one word, at usdoj.gov. And the resources are right there. And tell them that U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed, said, contact us. That's right. U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed, will be back. More special edition to come. Welcome back to Special Edition. I had the opportunity recently to talk with U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed. Among the things that we talked about included Project Safe Neighborhoods. U.S. Attorney Freed was able to give us an opportunity to find out how it's working, not only nationally or statewide, but right here in our own backyards. U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed, is joining us, and we're going to talk about something called Project Safe Neighborhoods. Uh, People might remember uh, from about, oh gosh, 16, 17 years ago, uh, seeing some billboards uh, around the area uh, saying things like, uh, if you do a gun crime, you're going to do federal time. Yes. And those were a product of the original Project Safe Neighborhoods uh, program. Uh, which was uh, the, a program, Justice Department program, with a goal of, of reducing violent crime, uh, having a real impact on, on crime rates. And the studies that were done about the original Project Safe Neighborhoods, we say PSN, uh, showed that, that it really did reduce crime uh, nationwide by about 4%. And, and those are good, solid, solid numbers. So Project Safe Neighborhood, uh, there are really five tenets to it. And, and, and we, as United States attorneys around the country, are tasked with, with leading this effort. It involves leadership by the U.S. attorney, you know, c- convening uh, all the appropriate players. That's district attorneys, local law enforcement, state law enforcement, uh, Pennsylvania Attorney General's office, and partnering uh, with those groups. And, and uh, the Middle District of Pennsylvania, I can tell you, is the envy of many districts around the country. Because really? Of, oh, because of the level of partnership that we have with with uh, state and local law enforcement. Wow. Uh, you know, there's always a little territoriality in, in law enforcement. You see that on television all the time. Uh, we really have excellent relationships here, in particular in northeastern Pennsylvania. It, it's it's as strong as, as I've seen anywhere. Targeted and prioritized enforcement. So that's the stuff you read about in the paper all the time. You know that that that's our main job is 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 enforcing the law, uh, doing the, the the cops and robbers, the crime stuff, and then violence prevention uh, and accountability. So we're accountable to the Justice Department for what are we doing with Project Safe Neighborhoods? What are we doing with the funds that we receive? You know, what does our program look like? Uh, and and we're excited about it. The 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 setup here in the in the Middle District of Pennsylvania. Uh, the way that the violent crime reduction program and, 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 and the heroin and opioids program was set up even before I walked in the door, it was set up to concentrate our efforts uh, in the places where we have greatest need. 
So in the Middle District of Pennsylvania, that's the city of York in York County, uh, Harrisburg City in Dauphin County, Williamsport in Lycoming County, uh, and, and, and Wilkesbury. Uh, oh. In Luzerne County, and to to an extent, Scranton. I, you know, we say the Wilkesbury Scranton area. Well, Wilkesbury Scranton Hazelton, exactly. Right, at least, right. exactly. And thank right. you for bringing Hazelton up too, yeah. because that that is that that's all part of this. And so we're concentrating efforts, concentrating PSN efforts uh, in, in in those areas. Uh, there's there's some funding, some federal funding attached to it uh, for the district uh, this year. It's about one hundred fifty thousand dollars. So it's not a ton of money. Uh, we're seeking, uh, we have to get approval from the department, but we are seeking to uh, take that money and, and, and put it right into to, to boots on the ground law enforcement. Such as? Uh, well, the way that, that, that we do all these partnerships uh, that I addressed uh, here uh, throughout the district, but especially here in northeastern Pennsylvania, is, is we have state troopers, uh, county detectives, local police officers who get sworn in as task force officers or TFOs might be with the FBI, might be with the DEA, Drug Enforcement Administration, might be with alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, and they're cross-designated as federal officers. I did not know that. Oh, and, and, it, and it's an extensive program here. So, so what happens then, and this is part of what this department has directed us to do, they will, uh, they have great relationships in their, in their local areas, as you might expect, and we do regular meetings uh, with, with those folks to discuss cases, and we'll determine, is this a case that's appropriate for federal prosecution? Uh, how do we make those decisions? Well, we look at uh, how big of a problem is, is, is this potential offender in your community? Uh, what, if we convict that person, would the potential sentence look like? Often in federal court, the sentence is more substantial, mm -hmm. uh, depending on a person's prior record, depending on whether a firearm was used, depending on whether there's prior crimes of violence. So we have that face-to-face uh, -face sit down, that back and forth, and then we will say, uh, yes, we'll do that case. And sometimes we say, well, if it's about the same at the federal state or state level, we'll let that case stay at the state level. And it's that kind of direct partnership. Uh, last week, there was just a meeting uh, and, and that was a little uh, of a larger meeting. There were representatives from Luzerne County, Lackawanna County, and Monroe County uh, met with folks in my office to go over cases. I just uh, walked past one in, in, in Dauphin County the other day with folks from Harrisburg City and Dauphin County meeting with my folks to go over cases. And it's, it's exactly what you'd expect. We have a big stack of files on the table, and we look through the cases and say, yes, we'll do these, and, and no, we won't. The reason that I bring up the relationships here in northeastern Pennsylvania in particular uh, is we have longtime experienced federal officers, longtime experienced state officers working directly together uh, to do cases. We, we have a, a, a very close relationship in particular uh, with the Luzerne County District Attorney's Office. Uh, the District Attorney in Lackawanna County is still fairly new. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done some great cases together and he and I have been together on numerous occasions. I have a little bit of an advantage because I was a district attorney for a long time, so I know a lot of these folks. It helps. Uh, but this work was being done. I can't take any credit for it. This work was being done before I walked into the office. Uh, so much of this is happening, and the general public obviously doesn't know about it. So then when you folks take the heat that says, why is this so slow? Why does it take so long? Mm -hmm. But it, it all has to be done by the book if you want it to come out to a positive conclusion. Right. And... You know, there's I can understand the, you know there, there there's some arguments on the other side of this issue saying well 
why are we taking these these local cases um, to the federal level? That's why we're doing these meetings and having this discussion. And ultimately, the, you know, I have I have uh, very experienced uh, professional staff who help me make these decisions. But ult- ultimately, I'm making these decisions, saying, "Yeah, this case is appropriate for federal prosecution." Uh, I believe I have a great background to do that because I was a state prosecutor for so long. And where is it going to go in the long run? Right. Really? Sometimes I'll ask, you know, I'll see a case that came in before I started and I'll say, say to my, my folks, well, why, why did this case, we say go federal, you know, why, why did this case go federal? But doing that is, is a way to leverage greater resources uh, and to really have an impact on, on the community. Because one way to impact violent crime is to take violent criminals out of the community. Uh, that's job one for us. Uh, and, and that's what we're doing. So where we're trying to focus our Project Safe Neighborhoods efforts are in these areas of greatest need. Uh, and to the extent that we get any funding, we're doing it without the funding, frankly. But if we get any funding, that should go. I want that to go into supporting more task force officers. Because, look, the locality, municipalities, the state police, attorney general's office, they're making a commitment. You mm-hmm. know, they're committing somebody that they're paying uh, to do federal work. Now, what do you get back from that? Well, you get you get the the full resources of the, of the federal government back, uh, great sentencing outcomes, uh, professional folks, technology, and all, all able, those sorts of things. You're able to get rid of a maybe a potential problem before it even festers any further locally right. because you see where it could be going down the pipeline. Right. You know, the, the hard hard one of the hardest things in in, in criminal justice is 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 trying to prevent crime and, and, and prevent re- recidivism. But before you can even talk about doing that, you have to address the problem. You, mm-hmm. you have to address the violence in the community and get the violent criminals out of the community. And the way to do that is to prosecute them and lock them up. And then we can deal with, with, with some of the root causes. You know, when I started out as a prosecutor, and I, I, go back, I go back far enough that it was really about, you know, let's just lock these people up. Well, let's lock them up. The job of the prosecutor has changed. Uh, especially the, the the local prosecutors, the DAs you have in, in this area, they spend so much time on crime prevention, so much time. Uh, I used to say uh, I never believed I would spend so much time trying to keep people out of prison. <laughs> but you do, and that's the right thing to do. And, and, and as a federal prosecutor, I'm not seeing those cases that are appropriate for the most part for a diversion program or a treatment program. Uh, we want to concentrate our efforts on, on the most serious violent criminals, the people that, that do need to be locked up. Uh, and that's how we think we can have the greatest impact on the community. Can the community get involved in Project Safe Neighborhood at all? Yes. So, so there, there, there are many ways uh, for the community to get involved, and, and, and we're trying to develop ways. Uh, we're looking to, to schedule uh, some community walks. I know there was one done in Wilkes-Barre last year. Uh, there's a program that's that's being run in York. Uh, it's called Gun Violence Intervention Program. We're looking to expand that because uh, we can lock up a- as many bad guys as we can, but we have to address the causes of violence in the community if we really want to make a difference here. And that's what, what PSN does. They want us targeted uh, at, at violence prevention, doing whatever we can, working with whatever groups we can uh, to, to, to try to do that. And, and I think we have the experience. We certainly have the desire to do it. Uh, now, look, it can be tough sometimes because you're walking in saying, I'm, 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 I'm going to lock you up. You know, what they say in York is, uh, and, and we do uh, a, a program down there, and I've done it, and folks from my office do it, and we bring in people who are, are, are engaging in risky behaviors, and we say to them, look, we're, we're here, the federal authorities are here until the shooting stops, uh, and shootings bring, bring police. So as long as this keeps up, 
uh, we're going to be here. We have to handle that enforcement end. Uh, but the community engagement, I, I, I can tell you, I've been doing this for a long time and locking people up deals with, with the immediate problem, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not a long-term solution. Is it something that people can um, perhaps, again, go to local law enforcement? Because we don't know, as the right. public, who in local law enforcement might be badged in order to work with the feds. But at the same time, you got to start right. somewhere. And, and I think for people who are interested, uh, you know, one of the... Our, our level of local law enforcement in Pennsylvania can be can be a benefit sometimes and, and a detriment. You know, we're so we're so divided up. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was DA, I had I think 17 municipal police departments and 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 state police. You know, in a county of about 240,000 people. But what that the benefit you get from that, uh, and I have it. I live in a small town with a little police department, but I know all the police officers. Right. More importantly, I know the borough council members who are in charge of the police officers. And I think people who are interested in this, people who are interested in community engagement, certainly they can go to the, to the police. Police chiefs are a great resource. You know, police chiefs are are that are that certainly in most places the outfacing member of the department mm-hmm. to, to interface with the public. But also, you you know, if you're in a township, your township supervisors, city council, borough council, and say to them because they might not want you to know exactly who the the, the task force officer is for absolutely. security reasons. Absolutely, they say, look, are we doing any work with the federal authorities? Uh, you know, the U.S. attorney, I heard him on the radio saying he's working with the DAs in all these counties. Uh, are we doing any of that? Do we have the opportunity to do that? And how can we get involved? When we're also talking about uh, Project Safe Neighborhood and you were mentioning the, the program in York with the guns. Mm-hmm. Now, you're not trying to take guns off the off people who are supposed to have them, obviously. So is there a program where I know there's been a lot of things even in Chicago with gun take backs and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Do those things actually exist here in Pennsylvania? No, they don't. And I don't think we have the level of gun violence uh, uh, that that uh, necessitates that. Now, I, I don't want to speak too freely. I'm not sure whether that's ever been done or, or attempted in York. It, it's been done in, actually in Harrisburg uh, to, to some effect. And that, that's generally done uh, by, by the locals. It might be the local police department who does that. Um, and, and I think there are arguments both ways there. We, we're, we concentrate on gun crime and it's generally guns used in violent crime the most common thing here is a gun used in furtherance of drug activity or other violent crime but it's generally drug activity uh the 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 key uh pieces of equipment for for drug dealers are uh their transportation their drugs their gun and their phone right right so uh, when, when we catch them, though, and we can prosecute them federally, that use of a gun in furtherance of drug trafficking activity is a five-year mandatory jail sentence on top of anything else they might be doing. So we, we concentrate on that. Uh, no matter where you go uh, in the Middle District of Pennsylvania, uh, you know, we, we are a, uh, a longtime historical gun-owning district. Absolutely. And, and, and the mm-hmm. vast majority of people, and, and, and I've lived it, I've lived here my, 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 well, since I was three. I was born in Westchester outside of Philadelphia, <laughs> but uh, came to Pottsville after that and then been in the, in the Harrisburg area since then. And, and you know, the vast, vast, vast majority of folks are law-abiding, responsible gun owners. And, and, and n- nobody, especially anybody in law enforcement that I've ever met in the Middle District of Pennsylvania, has any problem with that we're, we're going after people using guns uh, uh, for criminal activity uh, you know we have a uh, I'm involved in, in a trial coming up 
and we were supposed to have it in October. Uh, and as, as often happens with trials, it got pushed back. But when we started looking at calendar dates, it started to get pushed back right there to the beginning of hunting season. And, and, and we had to tell the judge, uh, you know, judge, we, we won't have any police officers if, uh, mm-hmm. if, if you want us to do a trial then because everybody, everybody will be at a hunting camp. So. Well, and that's, and that's, again, one of those things that when we here in northeast Pennsylvania and you're involved in the entire middle district, sometimes we kind of lose our perspective that it's not just here, but it's everywhere because everybody thinks they stay close to home. So as far as um, Project Safe Neighborhood is concerned, then, citizens can get involved by getting in touch with their local people and finding out if there is a connection there and maybe suggesting starting a connection with the feds? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we're open for business. The, uh, the, the district attorneys in the counties certainly know that. Now, of course, they're, they're, at a, they're at a level where they've got the entire county to worry about, but... Uh, I can tell you, I see uh, you know the, these local officers uh, who who are are designated as task force officers, doing incredible work, uh, and and you know our local folks know and state police knows they're sending the people to do that who who really know what they're doing. It's generally very experienced officers who know what they're doing. Uh, what one of the other things we're trying to promote here is in places where we don't have task force officers. Uh, some 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 of the more common cases that we do, the more common charges that we do. Here's what's necessary for these charges, because you know, think think of a, a of a of a smaller county like Wyoming County, maybe mm-hmm. for example, uh, that doesn't have the just just population's not as big, doesn't have the level of activity that maybe some of these other counties have. But maybe there's one or two people that can't can't stay out of criminal activity in a county like that, keep getting in trouble and getting increasingly more violent with their crime. Those would be the kind of people that 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 you know those officials could come and say, "Hey, take a look at this person," and we could do the same sort of meeting we do with those other target areas, and 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 figure out is this person maybe appropriate for federal prosecution. And what is your uh, website? You have a website too, right? Yeah. So we are. Uh, it's just doj.gov, and and look for uh, Middle District of Pennsylvania. Thanks again to U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed, for joining us and giving us information on Project Safe Neighborhoods. Now don't go away. More special edition yet to come. Welcome back to Special Edition. U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed, has been involved in fighting the war on illegal drugs now for many years. He joins us here on Special Edition to tell us just exactly how his office throughout the state is helping many communities, just like ours, in that battle. Between healthcare fraud, opioids, heroin, there's so many things. And now we look at the U.S. Attorney for the Middle District and say, what are you doing? So these two topics really go hand in hand. Uh, if, if you think about the Middle District of Pennsylvania, you know, from, from, the, from the Maryland border up to New York and, and into northeastern Pennsylvania, you know, one of the things that characterizes this district is, is we have uh, a lot of uh, health insurers, mm-hmm. insurance companies here. You know, we have... We have uh, you know, Blue Cross, uh, Capital Blue Cross. You, know, you have Highmark. You have you have the the, the Northeast. You have Geisinger, uh, and anywhere that you have that, um, and you have uh, on the federal side Medicaid payments, on the state side Medicare payments, uh, and then you have private pay, of course, and and, and private insurance. Um, 
you're going to have a certain amount of fraud. Uh, in the situation we're in now here at the epicenter of this heroin and opioids crisis, that's where most of the investigative work is, is being concentrated on, on, on the, on the health care fraud, uh, surrounding the heroin and opioids crisis over prescribing. Uh, and, and, and we're doing, uh, I was just in a meeting yesterday, uh, looking at some new technology, uh, to analyze trends, uh, with prescribing, you know, we have certain information in Pennsylvania. There's a there's a, a prescription drug database mm-hmm. uh, now that there there wasn't before. Uh, so so which is a real help for physicians and pharmacists. You know, they can see if people are doctor shopping or uh, or pharmacy shopping. Right. Um, and and so that's just part of the information that we have. Prescribing information. You know, we have arrest information. We can synthesize all that. And see see what's going on. Uh, so, uh, you know, w- one of the things that we were looking at yesterday is, uh, you know, you can look at uh, we we know who the top prescribers are uh, of of opioids. Oh, uh, who might not even know you know in any community. Well, that, that's right. Well, a couple of them know because they've been charged. Oh, okay. Uh, and you know, <laughs> one of course was was uh, Dr. Lee, who yes. was from the Poconos. His right. trial was in Wilkesbury. Right. And, and he was convicted. And and what was prescribing just massive amounts of, of opioids. So uh, what is what do they do? Get a kickback? No, for for, for Doctor Lee, uh, uh, he was uh, and he's convicted now. So so we can speak we can speak of it as uh, I don't have to say alleged right. anymore because he's convicted. Um, uh, you know, he would get insurance payments, uh, but he would also he did a lot of cash. Cash for for uh, office visits. Okay. And one of the charges, in addition to the drug dealing charges, and he was also convicted of uh, providing the drugs that caused the death, which is a very serious charge, carries a 20-year mandatory jail sentence. In addition to those charges, he was convicted of, of tax charges and money laundering because when the search warrant was done at his residence, one of his residences, uh, the law enforcement officers found a million dollars cash under a bed. We had, as part of the investigation, you know, the business records. So we were able to show these office visits. There wasn't any record of private payment. And then the people who were coming in said, yeah, we paid this amount, you know, 100 bucks a visit or whatever. And once we compared that with his schedule and the amount of people coming in, it, it equaled out almost to the dollar the amount of cash that, that we were able to find. In his particular case, it was, it was cash for visits. Where does a physician get that amount well, they come. Just the- so you prescribe, and then the people go to the pharmacies to fill, and and the pharmacies are generally great partners with us uh, yeah. in law enforcement. Uh, but if you think about you know Walmart, for example, uh, you know the Walmart folks, they'll fill, and if they have a problem, they'll go to the corporate and say, "Look, I think we have a problem." And 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 Walmart uh, has shut down certain doctors uh, from prescribing. Uh, in the Doctor Lee case, some of the prime witnesses were pharmacists who were filling all these prescriptions. One pharmacist in, in the Lee case stopped ordering the kind of drugs that he was prescribing so he wouldn't have to fill the wow. prescriptions anymore. That, wow. That's the way that, that, that he dealt with the situation, and they were, and they were very cooperative. So we're, we're looking at those cases in terms of, of potential criminal prosecution, but also in terms of, of fraud, because what you see people doing now is knowing that we're looking at, at the – opioids and, 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 and those particular schedules, 
uh, people who have these disorders will, will find a way to combine other drugs. So there'll be an opioid and something else that might kick up the, the uh, effect of the opioid. So they get a smaller amount of opioid maybe, but they get this other thing. Right. And so we're looking at that a, a, as well. Uh, the, the pure healthcare fraud cases at the federal level are those where uh, the, the services are generally being paid for uh, by med- m- Medicare. Oh. Uh, and and uh, you know, the st- state level has uh, Medicaid. Uh, and, and we worked together actually pretty well with the attorney general's office. Uh, so we're 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 on the case looking at all that now. If you think about it, we're talking about millions of documents. Oh, it must uh, it must tons be so of analysis. And we have people who are very adept at that. You know, wow. we have we have analysts uh, who who are working on those issues. But you know, any it go it goes all the way down to, you know, people faking accidents, uh, anything like that. And anytime that happens, I'm, I'm an insurance fraud prosecutor from from way back. I used to do insurance fraud cases. Uh, at the state level. And, and I never worried too much when I was doing insurance fraud pra- uh, prosecutions about how much money was involved because the, the Pennsylvania statute uh, criminalizes false statements in support of insurance claims. And anytime that happens and insurance companies are paying out money they shouldn't have to, that impacts all of us. Oh, it certainly does. As law-abiding citizens. Yes. So, so the healthcare fraud area in the Middle District uh, you know, that, that's one area. That's a focus of mine uh, when I walked in the door. And look, I hope that we spend a lot of time looking for it and we don't find any. I'd count that a success. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty certain that we will if we keep looking for it. When, obviously, the cases that you just talked about, um, the one that was prosecuted, the one that's coming up for prosecution, those are big. Mm-hmm. So what about the little, the little guy? who feels that or that I can get away with this. I know I'm petrified. I get a bill. I pay it. I make mm-hmm. sure all the eyes are out because I, I just wouldn't want to get in, be in that position. But there are so many people out there who are saying, oh, we'll fluff. Mm-hmm. We can, can you, is there a way to track all that back? And that must be needle in a haystack. Well, you know, that, that gets into some philosophical uh, issues. <laughs> uh at, at, at the federal level, you know, we're going to necessarily have to concentrate on the bigger, the bigger things uh, because we're putting those efforts in. Uh, we have, uh, you know, the analysts and, and the agents and, and, you know, we work in, in, in these cases. Not You know, DEA has people who just work on drug diversion mm. and that, that's diverting drugs uh, from their appropriate use uh, into, the, into the black market, essentially. We work with the DEA. FBI does these cases. Um, and and health and human services, uh, their investigators. We don't have very many of them in this region, but they're amazing. So we work very very well with them. So so working with them, we're we're, we're looking at the bigger stuff. One of the things that I've tried to communicate to my folks walking in the door, because so often this is about money. Like if it's a healthcare fraud case, how much? Will, you know, what's the amount of the fraud? How much money are we talking about? Right. And I understand that because we want to go after the people who are defrauding the government of the most money. However, to me. If if we've got somebody, uh, for example, who we know is overprescribing, uh, and 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 has been warned, and maybe has been sanctioned by the state authorities, but continues to overprescribe, and and we're at the point where you know, we don't really know if this person's making a huge profit, if the government's been defrauded of a lot of money, but we know that these opioids or whatever the product is 
are flooding the market. It's dangerous. Well, under under healthcare fraud, there are options we have other than charging that person with a crime. We can go after that person using the civil side of the office, so the civil courts, and try to get an injunction to stop that person from prescribing. It was just done in northern Ohio. Uh, we're working on a couple of those cases now here uh, in the Middle District to see if we can do it. Now, mm-hmm. it might not always be the best thing. Uh, you don't want to negatively impact a criminal case. But one of the things that we've been tasked with doing by this Justice Department is we got to stop this. You know, we want to reduce deaths. Yes. Right? And in order to reduce deaths, you know, we, we've got to impact that supply. So if, if we get the right case to do an injunction to try to stop somebody from prescribing, uh, you better believe that, that we're going to do it. So getting into to the smaller things, uh, the Attorney General's Office of Pennsylvania has an insurance fraud unit. They're going to be a little more focused on the big stuff. But there are also uh, smaller insurance fraud prevention authorities, task forces throughout the state. Uh, and it's not really a complicated statute. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on where you are and what the philosophy of the prosecutor and, and the police are. But you can make a great example. We can make a great example uh, of people who are filing false claims, even though there might not be a lot of money involved, because every time that's paid out, as I said, it's costing you and me. Exactly. And that's, that's what I mean, because a lot of times you see, and of course, the news stories focus on, wow, you know, look at all this money and all these drugs and everything. Mm-hmm. But then again, you have all of that getting into the system. And one of the best things that I have seen are the communities. Now I know Hazleton has a drug van where you can go and get rid of those prescriptions and things like that. And you can go to the state police and different other police. And they had um, so many. I think that's wonderful because that's pretty much another aspect of what you're talking about by getting these things off the street. Sure. So that that addresses the, the public health side of it. And, you know, the attorney general's office has, has a sort of a pouch. Uh, the Pennsylvania attorney general's office has like a pouch return program. Yes. The DAs around this Commonwealth have put out the things that look like mailboxes. Yes. The drug take back boxes. Mm-hmm. I was DA. I had, I had, I think, 22 of them in the county. We had them at the colleges and police departments and every, they're all over the place. So there are numerous options to get rid of your prescription drugs. I just saw some from a vacation that we took in the medicine cabinet at home and remembered, hey, I got to take those down to the police department and and throw them in the box. Um, Those opportunities are there. You know, the other thing that Pennsylvania as a state has done uh, is pass Good Samaritan legislation so that if somebody overdoses, a person calls and stays with that person, you know, that person won't necessarily be prosecuted. Right. uh, You know, to try to save lives. So those things are being done to save lives. Uh, and, and, and that's our task. And, and we're going to use whatever tools we have at our disposal. Being a federal prosecutor now, uh, I've got a civil side of the office. You know, I have 11 civil attorneys that, you know, they defend the United States when we get sued, but they can also get out there and do active affirmative things. And that would be the kind of injunction to maybe stop somebody from overprescribing if that's what we see. I want to make one more point mm-hmm. that I think will be interesting for folks about uh, sort of the drug business. So I'm talking about the illegal drugs now in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and all over the country, we're starting to see more and more drugs come through the mail. Drug dealing is is starting to go the way of the rest of the economy. And, you know, there's there's a lot to think about there, but you can think about if somebody sends 20 packages, uh, if 17 of them get through, that's probably better than trying to have to... uh, hire trucks and, and, and people, you know, to get, to get your drugs to, to, to your suppliers. So that's just something interesting. And I think the folks in the community, 
you know, if you're if you're if you're living in your neighborhood and, and, and maybe you're home and, and and you see the FedEx truck or the UPS truck or the or the postal uh, package delivery pulling up to a house in your neighborhood way more than you'd expect, uh, that might be something you want to keep your eye on and maybe let the local authorities know. We we do a good job. Postal service in particular mm-hmm. uh, does a good job with the packages. State police does a ton of this, ton of this work. So I just wanted everybody to have a heads up on that. That's been something that that's that's you'd occasionally see it in years past. We're seeing more and more of that in this district. Drugs coming in through the mail. Thanks again to U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed, for joining us on Special Edition, a presentation of Intercom Communications.